The experience can be good or bad. It's still an experience. It's all one thing. But we always want the good and the happiness and everything that comes with that thing. But without the bad stuff, how do you appreciate the good stuff? Hi, my name is Rongan Chasji. Welcome to Feel Better, Live More. So this week's episode is slightly unusual. It is a live recording of a conversation I had with Mr. Tony Riddle, who at the time was eight days into an epic journey. He was running the length of Great Britain completely barefoot, covering 30 miles a day for 30 days. His aim was to show what human beings are biologically capable of, as well as to raise environmental awareness and funds. Now, even though the conversation was recorded back in 2019, I think it has as much relevance today as it did back then. Now, some of you may remember Tony from episode 71 of this podcast when we had a brilliant conversation that I know inspired many of you to make some changes to your lifestyle. And he also goes by the name of The Natural Lifestylist. And one of his big aims is to help people move back towards a more natural lifestyle by inspiring them to make small changes that can make a big difference. Unfortunately, when we met up to record this episode in front of a small live audience at the Wild and Wild Cafe in Congleton, acute injury meant that Tony was two days into an enforced break from his run. So, in this conversation, we talk about how he coped with that setback. We also talk about the incredible power of being vulnerable, the idea of progress, not perfection, and Tony's philosophy that everything in life is a process. He shares some simple and free tools that can help us all cope with adversity in life better. Human contact, hugs from your loved ones, breathwork, meditation, mobility, and cold water therapy. And at the event, I asked Tony to take us all through a simple breathing exercise in real time. So you can join in, of course, if you wish to. We also chat about the physiology of stress, how and when breathwork can help us, and the importance of living in a sustainable way in harmony with nature and the planet. Now, Tony is a pretty inspiring guy. I think what I love about him the most is how willing he is to challenge the modern norms in society and question how many of them are not in keeping with our evolution and biology. At its core, this is a conversation about trusting the process, being vulnerable, and learning to accept the inevitable challenges that we all face in our day-to-day life. I hope you enjoyed listening. Now, before we get started, just a quick shout out to the mental wellness app, Calm, who are sponsoring today's show. Now, whatever you are doing, unless you are driving, just take a pause and for a moment, just sit with your innermost thoughts. What are you holding on to? What's coming up for you? Now see if you can just let go of your to-do list and pending projects and just focus on your breath. We all need a few moments in our day when we are at one with ourselves. And I think for many of us, this is where Calm can really help. Calm is a brilliant mental wellness app that gives you the tools you need to improve the way that you feel. You can clear your head with guided daily meditations, improve your focus with Calm's curated music tracks, and drift off to dreamland with Calm's imaginative sleep stories. Over 100 million people around the world use Calm 
to take care of their minds, sleep more, stress less, live better with Calm. For listeners of the show, Calm is offering a special limited time promotion of 40% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com forward slash live more, which includes hundreds of hours of programming and new content is added every week. All you have to do is go to calm.com forward slash live more. That's C-A-L-M dot com forward slash live more for 40% off unlimited access to Calm's entire library. And now, my live conversation with Mr. Tony Riddle. Guys, look, uh, this is a really special opportunity for me and Tony to get together. I actually am used to doing events normally in London, so to do it in the Northwest is absolutely fantastic. Um, first of all, let's say welcome to the Wild and Wild Cafe. I'm going to try and keep this informal, although I am recording this on my podcast, so we've never really done live events in such an intimate setting before, so we'll see how this goes. Um, but yeah, I don't know how much you know about me and Tony, but thank you. If you don't know anything about us, thank you for trusting and coming here tonight to spend uh, some time with us. Yeah, so look, um, my podcast is about trying to empower people, trying to inspire people to believe that they can become the architects of their own health. And I think Tony is probably someone who really epitomizes that for me. If you're not familiar with Tony, I'm going to ask Tony to start off by just summarizing what he does. So Tony goes under the name The Natural Lifestylist. So I wonder, Tony, if you could briefly sort of explain to people here, what is a natural lifestylist? Um, I thought I knew until I started this run, but I know, um, I am a rewilding coach, like a rewilding human coach, which means I look to, um, people and places of the world for ways of living that are more in sync with our human biology. Um, and I work with urbanites basically. So people that live in urban settings and, and try and find ways of living that are more in sync for them with that human biology. So finding biologically normal ways of living in what can often be a biologically extreme environment, I would say. Um, so looking at physical, social, spiritual needs and trying to align them um, with nature, really. Discovering that our modern, we have this modern millions of different diseases, right? And I put them down to the suffering that we're occurring because of our habitat and our environment. But the habits within those habitats as well. So really my coaching experience has been how to change people's habits by offering small changes. And with those small changes, it can make a big impact in the way they're choosing to live. And I say choosing because really it ultimately does come down to the choice really of how we want to live. Um, so I've been privy to some pretty amazing lifestyles. Um, I've mentioned it before, but thrown around by private jet, met A-listers, um, sports personalities, could be students, could be pensioners, whoever I work with, it doesn't really matter. If their fundamental physical, social, spiritual needs aren't met, then they're humans in suffering. Um, but the good news is the more and more nature I introduce to their lifestyle and their lives, the happier they become, um, which again is part of this restyling nature. And it started off as rewilding, but most people didn't understand the term. It's becoming more mainstream now. More people are understanding about rewilding humans, whereas before it was like, oh, we're going to introduce wolves to Yellowstone Park and create a trophic cascade or, or reforestation or something. We're not understanding how we can actually do this with a human being. 
Yeah, that's kind of the crux of it. Yeah, for sure. But a lot of people out there who are not in tune, let's say we're living a natural lifestyle, might perceive some of the things that you do as quite extreme or societally they're very extreme. You would call them biologically normal. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. for example, Tony doesn't have any chairs in his house. Nope. But I find that super fascinating because a lot of the feedback I got from our first podcast is that although I won't go as far as Tony goes, I can go halfway. I can... Uh, you know, maybe squat when I watch television. I can maybe try and be in a squat for 30 minutes a day. I can take my shoes off when I come in. So I'm actually starting to connect with my feet and the grounds. So I think, you know, yes, some people may think they're not ready to go as far as you're going, but, you know, you're inspiring them to actually take small steps, which I think is a great thing. But I think what you're currently doing at the moment is really what I want to delve into today. So Tony is trying to run across the entire length of the UK completely barefoot not not in barefoot shoes not but, in these but no. completely barefoot and so tony i wonder if you could explain you know what was your drive to do this what you know when did the idea come about you know that hey i know what a fun thing to do in september take my family on the road and actually try and run around the uk barefoot um it, well, it started off in a i was in a ceremony so it was in like a spiritual context of a ceremony um, this pair of boots popped up in front of my eyes and it was a pair of leather boots with a metal bar that ran across them. And those pair of boots were the boots that I was given as a, as a baby. So I was born with um, a deformity in my feet. I was the longest baby on record in Reading Hospital, um, which meant I took on this amazing adaptation where I managed to curl my feet up underneath my armpits. I must have looked like a trussed chicken or something when I came out. But um, uh, it then meant that the first 12 weeks was spent going back each week to have plaster put onto my feet. So I'd be in plaster cast for 12 weeks. My mum found it incredibly traumatic. So she used to be in tears every time. So that would have been kind of uploading, I guess, into that. Um, and then I was put into these boots with a metal bar. Like, yeah. Anyway, so that, I guess, was in the, that's in the roots of it. I think that's where it started. In the ceremony, it was like, oh, I've got to lose the shoes. That was kind of the first thing that came to my mind. I'd already thought about running for Land's End to John O'Groats. I didn't necessarily think about doing it barefoot. I thought about just, just running it, you know, and, and doing something. And then within that lose the shoes, that was the first thing that came up. It's like, I know, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run from Land's End to John O'Groats, and I'm going to do it barefoot, and I'm going to throw the boots in the sea at the end. That's what kind of came up for me. And so that was the start of it. And then it was like, right, okay, but, you know, I, the reaction I would say to people, oh, I'm going to run barefoot from Land's End to John O'Groats, it always this, oh my God, like the reaction when I get when I say, oh, well, we don't have any furniture in the home or, you know, I do ice baths or, I, you know, do meditation or breath work or things that can, you know, again, they can be perceived as socially extreme. Um, it was that, that window of opportunity for me to then say, ah, here's a platform. And with that platform, I can raise awareness for sustainability and the environment. So there's kind of two pronged attack really for me. It was like, right, okay, I have this thing, the physicality, I'm going to deal with the trauma of that from birth. And yet at the same time, through the extreme, that exposure that I can give people, it's like, right, okay, we can interview sustainability experts along the way and then raise funds and fundraise for six amazing charities and organizations. That's kind of within it. Um, and then since then, I've done deeper work. And what I found is that, you know, it's, it's not about the shoes at all. You know, I let the shoes go a long, long time ago, you know. And really, it's just come down to this. I think Lola, woke, we woke up one morning. I was, I, was in a, I was in a bit of a state, I think, on Wednesday morning, hobbling around and 
head in my hands, sobbing, and Lola was like, have you thought about um, why you're doing this, Papa? <laughs> and I was like, well, yeah, I mean, the bigger picture is this, that, you know, um, Hugo Tagholm, we were, we were, I was interviewing from Surface Against Sewage, and he said, can you imagine that we were using, like, whale oil, right? From, we were hunting whales, and we were extracting stuff from the whale so that we could use it, right? And that's that generational amnesia I was talking about in one of the previous podcasts again, that we, we have no recognition of that. I don't remember that. But there'll be generations that do remember that. And so for my kids, it's going to be, well, look at, look at, the, look at the state of things. We're, what, is, what is this handover and what representation are we in? Who, who are we? How do we become better humans again? I remember in my parents' car, we'd be driving along on holiday and they were smokers and they'd smoke with the windows up in the car. And we'd be like in the car as kids, right? But that was where everyone did it. It was like the norm, you see. But for me to look at my parents now, I'm like, what were you thinking? And, and for me, it's, you know, for my kids to look at me in the future and I can say, well, actually, you know what? I ran for land engine on the groats to raise awareness for sustainability in the environment. So the bigger picture, I think, is that, um, um, again, it's always about, for me, being the change and becoming a better human, I think, underneath it all. It sounds like this um, calling to go on such an amazing adventure it feels as though it's come from a very deep place inside you. It doesn't feel as though, you know, just thought, oh, this would be quite a cool thing to do. It's, oh, it's look, definitely it's, not superficial. It's, it's going like, to look good on Instagram, for example. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't get that sense from you at all that any part of it is about that. It's about, and as you just shared, there's something really, really deep about this. And I guess watching your journey so far, I wonder if you give us an update on where you are, where you should be, because you've had quite a few challenges along the way mm. and i think we should explore what those challenges are especially in the context that this is a spiritual journey on some way so i'd love to if you could explain to people what are what have those challenges been so far and then really i want to explore how you have dealt with those challenges because they're pretty they're pretty full-on yeah i think from the get-go I, I i've always said well we i said in the previous interview that Running for me isn't just a physical experience, not cardiovascular exercise. It's a physical, social, spiritual experience. And uh, through breath work and meditation and breathing while I'm out there and making contact with the earth, I've reached like these heightened states. It's been amazing. Like you can just, what you can process when you're out there. And I'm, I'm out there fighting for 12 hours, you know, it's just like 12 hours of processing. And, and already I've cleared so much stuff. And then I think it was on, um, what day was it? Maybe Tuesday. I think Tuesday I, I'd arrived at this spot. I was, it was like three days in. And I, I said, oh, my God, you know, this is amazing. It's like my mind and body had this conversation. And the conversation was, ah, this is what we're doing now. I get it. This is what we do every day. This is what we're going to be doing. We just get up and we go and do this run. And so I remember that's if I was being in the present, it would have just been accepting that. But something else came in. It was like, oh, I've got a blog about this. Trust the process, respect the process, be patient whilst in the process. And when you understand it's all process, just be, right? But I wasn't just being. That was the point. I was telling everyone about being, but I wasn't being in that process. I was doing something else. So it meant I feel that the, I just got ahead of myself in that. And then within, I think, what was probably a couple of hours of that, a thorn got into my heel and the process showed me, um, well, you want to be the process, this is it. And so... Uh, the heat, the 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 thorn in my heel then was driving me out on the outside of my left foot, um, which meant 
if you know anything, but the human foot's like incredible, like 33 joints, 26 bones, over 100 muscles, tendons, and ligaments reside in your foot, but it has specific loading areas and balance areas. And the big toe is like four times denser, thicker than all the other toes. And the skinniest toes are where? Do you think they are? Which ones? Right, the little toes, right? So the little toes are the most skinny. So they're the ones that definitely aren't for load, but it was throwing me out there. So my fourth and fifth met heads just got really inflamed. And by the end of that day already, my foot was starting to swell. Um, and it was painful to put down. Um, I then, I then that was, so that was by Wednesday morning, I was feeling that already. And then I had Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So that's, uh, that's 150 miles I put on top of that. So you're doing 30 miles a day? 30 yeah. miles a day. So from the get-go, 30 miles a day. So by the time I'd hit 247 miles, I think, was on Sunday night. And we were running into Whittington. And um, there was a guy that wanted to run with me. He ran along a bit of the journey with me. And then we did an interview just just way back there, just that same day. And the roads, they were different. It was like, um, it wasn't like tarmac I'd felt before. So that's, you know, it's really weird. I've done so much coaching and so much practice and so much training and so much mindfulness and so much breath work, but you cannot tra train for the these variables. You know, it can be a piece of tarmac you haven't experienced before. It can be a thorn that you've never experienced before. It could be a piece of glass. It could be anything that could be thrown in the way. So that's just... It, you understand that's just processed eventually. It's just like it's part of it's part of the run. Um, so for me, it became um, that the outside of the foot becomes so swollen on that day. The tarmac was so sharp that where I'd been overloading the right side of my foot, the skin had become so thin that I pivoted off the big toe and it split the skin between my big toe and the second toe. So the so the left one's like was really swollen. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't got get my shoe on. It was that swollen. And the right one, right underneath there, had, had split. And so I woke up on Monday morning, um, a shadow of a man. Basically, I just looked absolutely terrible. There, I mean, there wasn't. I didn't recognize recognize myself in the mirror, and I knew everyone else was looking at me like, "Ooh, it doesn't look good today." And I, we still went out. I got changed, got into the car procrastinated what should have been half seven turned into eight then it turned into eight fifteen. about whether you should go and run no or... just trying to get out of the car just even the process of trying to get the physical body out of the car there was a massive divide between my mind and my physiology at that point so, so you were struggling to get out of the car to even not, because not, of the swelling and the I pain i could get out the car i could say right i'm just going to get out of the car but my mind wasn't allowing me to get out of the car do you know what i mean it was almost like i'm going to choose everything i possibly can right now to not allow myself to get out of the car you know do you know what i mean i could have it could have been anything it was just a distraction it was procrastination basically it was just like this is what are you doing kind of moment so, so why were you procrastinating <laughs> well it's a level of pain that i don't think I'd, I'd actually reached before so um i think between the swelling and the and the split knowing that i've got to put my feet on the same tarmac that put me in that position the night before um was part of it and so I managed to get out of the car. I kind of hobbled around the corner and then I faced all the commuter traffic because it was getting later. It was howling down with rain and um, just, I, and I, I was watching even the parents go past with their kids. And there's this crazy man standing in the road, like Colin hobbling along with no shoes Barefoot, on. Barefoot, yeah. yeah. With his swollen feet. And I did my normal warm up. I did a squat. So I do a squat and then I stood up. And then I would normally jump on the spot to try and get some rhythm in the body and then try and get tempo. Like we've done tempo drills. Yeah. 
and then off I go. But it was rather like that conversation of trying to get out of the car. It's the bizarre one. The mind knows. And it's almost like the mind knows if you do this, you're going to hurt yourself. So I, I tried to pull my feet off the floor and it was as if they were stuck. So I couldn't actually get my physically get my feet off the ground to start running. <clears throat> and I was like, look, okay, so I'll work with some breath, right? So I do some breath work, try and calm the feeling of vomit. I was, going to, I was basically going to be sick. And so I, try, I was trying to hold that back. And then I was trying to hold the tears back. Then I was trying to hold the roaring back and then it all just came. So I was, I was sobbing in the middle of the traffic, roaring at the traffic, you know, obscenities and whatever I could to try and get myself into some kind of action. What, what were the tears about? Do you know what they were about? Was it about the pain you were in or was, it, was there more? I think there's every, in that moment, it's everything. It's like, um, oh, the decision from December up until that moment and everything in between, um, all the training, all the hours, or maybe I should have done more. The questioning, had I got the plan? How, is this right? Even the Lola conversation of, have you thought about really why you're doing this, Papa? Everything was in that moment. And then it was, and then it was oh, <clears throat> I know I can't do this. I, right now, I can't do this. And so then, it, it, then I questioned the, what would be, uh, what's the next conversation? Because I've set this as a 30-30 challenge. This is my challenge. I'm going to do this in 30 days. I've, I've put even my coaching philosophy and all my belief system that I can do this run is in this moment right now. And I, and I had to question everything. So that's a lot of pressure. And that's only day eight. You know, looking at it from the outside, you have been talking about this for many months. I've obviously interviewed about you about it. I've done some massive interviews, right? You, yeah, you've yeah. been on Rich Rolls podcast. Sky News. You've been yeah, on yeah. Sky News talking about this um, challenge you're going to do. And everyone's, you know, get it. Wow, it's amazing, Tony. You're going to do it barefoot. This is great. We can't wait to watch. So I can imagine in that moment, only eight days in, when you've almost, in many ways, state your reputation on this, you're yeah, out yeah. there, your philosophy, you, you've taken your family on the road with you, and you're injured, and you you can't probably put weights properly on that foot, let alone run on it, certainly with no shoes on. That must, you know, hit, it must hit you on every level, physical, emotional, spiritual, you know, you're, you're getting attacked on every single level there. And you said you were, you were shouting obscenities in the road. So... How have you dealt with that? Because I guess all of us face struggle in our lives at some point, right? All of us have a plan. Many people have tried to change their lifestyle before. And I said, you know, I'm going to go on this dietary plan now. I'm going to work out. I'm going to do this. And then they come across, let's say, an injury or a reason why they can't do that. So I'm intrigued as to how you have coped with this. Also, maybe as a way of shining... Uh, a light to some of us as how we might be able to cope with adversity in our own lives. So, um, you know, you may not feel that you, you've been the example for that, but I'm interested. You shouted obscenities. What else did you do? How did you, how did you come round? Because tonight you seem pretty calm and you have been posting on Instagram about trusting the process. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do you believe that in yourself that you've been trusting the process or is that something yeah, I've got to say that. I, I, I have to feel that because I know that's what I should be doing. But in that moment of turmoil, is it hard to trust the process? Just taking a quick break to give a shout out to Vivo Barefoot. Now, I've been wearing and recommending Vivo Barefoot shoes for over nine years. 
well before they started supporting my podcast. And of course, today I'm talking to Tony Riddle. Tony is an ambassador for Vivo Barefoot, but you don't have to go to the extreme of running barefoot around the country like Tony to gain benefits when you transition to a more barefoot lifestyle. Simply wearing Vivo Barefoot shoes for your day-to-day -day life can make a big difference. They've transformed my own life as well as that of my family, many of my friends, and a lot of my patients. I've seen so many benefits when people start to wear minimalist shoes like Vivo's for their day-to-day -day life. I've seen improvements in back pain, hip pain, knee pain, foot pain, things like plantar fasciitis, as well as a generalized increased enjoyment of movements. They are the only shoes that my wife and I wear and the only shoes that I will get for my children. So if you have never tried them before, I really would encourage you to give them a go. It is completely risk-free to do so because they offer a 100-day trial for new customers. So if you're not happy, you can just send them back for a full refund. For listeners of my show, if you go to vivobarefoot.com forward slash live more, they are giving 20% off as a one-time code for all of my podcast listeners in all countries except Switzerland, Austria, Germany, Czech Republic, Australia, and New Zealand. To get your 20% off codes, simply go to vivobarefoot.com forward slash live more. Athletic Greens are also supporting today's show. Nutrition, of course, is an essential pillar to get right for our physical, mental, and emotional health. And in an ideal world, I would much prefer it if everybody got all of their nutrition from real whole food. But I know from 20 years of seeing patients that a lot of us struggle to find the time to consistently do that, which means that many of us struggle to get all of the nutrients that we ideally need. That's why I am a fan of good quality whole food supplements like AG1 by Athletic Greens. One tasty scoop contains 75 whole food source ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfood blends, and more in one convenient daily serving. It helps support energy and focus, aids with gut health and digestion, and it also helps support a healthy immune system. AG1 has been in my own life for about three years now. I think it is one of the best whole food supplements out there. It's also really tasty. If you want to take something each morning as an insurance policy to make sure that you are meeting your nutritional needs, I can highly recommend it. For listeners of the show, if you go to athleticgreens.com forward slash live more, you can access a special offer where they're offering my audience five free travel packs and a free one-year supply of vitamin D, a critical nutrient for our immune system. You can see all details of this special offer by going to athleticgreens.com forward slash live more. I think it depends how much work you've done. So I've, I've done a fair bit of work and I've, and I, my mum my was instantly on the phone and my sister was on the phone and people have been on the phone that I've known for many years, you know, and, and all I can say to them is that I've been in far worse positions in life. I've been in much darker positions in life. And I always know that there's such valuable lessons in those dark spaces. And, um, and part of that understanding that it's, it's all just a process. And I keep repeating it, trust in the process. But the message that came in on Tuesday was that it is all process. We're just being a process. It's part of the experience. And so the experience can be good or bad. 
it's still an experience. It's all one thing. But we always want the good and the happiness and everything that comes with that thing. But without the bad stuff, how do you appreciate the good stuff? Do you know what I mean? It's like it's all one run roller coaster of a ride in a way that, that is the life. And and I I wouldn't take on a challenge like this if I di- if I didn't think uh, I I can't deal with the adversity some way. And 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 how do I get through it? It's it's very simple, free tools that we all have access to. And so that's human contact, as in hugs from your tribe, you know, because I needed that. There's breath work, because breath work enables me to instantly just drop into my body again. Um, breath's like the first the first thing to get to. It's just like, right, okay, how do we get back to nasal breathing, just completely downregulate and just make sense of it all? Meditation again. Um, mobility, get movement back into the body. I, I've become really quite stiff in, in a way because of the... Sh- the the tension and fear, I guess, that was going through that system. You're going to make me do this again. I've got to go and do this again. Um, so mobilizing that. And then cold therapy. I really, I'm a big fan of, uh, as I said before, ice baths and cold immersion because I think it honestly feels like a rite of passage. I could have anything going on in the world. I, I went into that bathroom some days like a 90-year-old Tony, but not a, not an empowered 90-year-old. I mean, someone that's had their power taken away and just hobbling into the bathroom and 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 then I'd close the door and you'd hear the ice bags get I, emptying in the bath and then and then I'd get in and I'd spend five minutes in there and then I'd come out out pops another being a different being so it's a it's just having tools simple tools that I think we lose sight of and we're looking for other solutions maybe yeah did, did you you've you clearly got access to these tools to help you when you come across um, adversity. Yeah. But we're all human, aren't we? Yeah. And we might know the right thing to do, but sometimes in that moment, it's hard to actually do those things. Do you think you dropped into that straight away or do you think it took you, do you think you flipped into some, some old patterns, let's say initially, and then you had to go, okay, hold on a minute. You know, this is a, this is a learning opportunity. What can I learn from this? How can I embrace this? How can I lean into this? Yeah, I, I, I think what came out of that experience to start was, was how multifaceted the personality is. <laughs> you know, there's the victim, there's the dictator, there's the little boy in there that's, you know, and there's the superhero, there's many different characters within. Did, did, you, did you feel the victim mentality? Yeah, yeah, the victim came in. On, Why does this happen to me? You know, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. out there on the run. How could that happen? Yeah, on this but incident? again, because, you, because you, it's, it's understanding that if you work with breath, you don't give the... You, if you go straight into breath, you, you, the voice comes up, this stuff comes up and it highlights it and it's like, okay, there's, 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 the, there's the victim. Okay, and then just spend a bit of time there because again, there's lessons within the victim. There's lessons within becoming the little boy who's needs his mum within that situation. There's lessons within all of it because it's all process. Again, it's process and it's an experience. What can I experience from this moment? So let me let me just relish in the moment for a second. Let me cry. Let me put my hat, head in my hands. Let me be everything I need to be in this moment because this this moment is I'm going to become strong from that. There's something that will be that will rise out of it. And already. There was a victory today. I ran up the stairs today. Fantastic. We, we changed our house today. We moved up to Chester. And without even thinking about it, I just ran up the stairs and back down again. So already it was, it, there was, oh, wow. Okay. So I you've just, had two, two days off from running. Two days off. Um, 
you, you brought your family on the road with you. So Absolutely. I'm assuming you're spending a lot of time with the family. Yeah, yeah. Your plan is at the moment to get back on the road tomorrow? Tomorrow morning, 7 a.m., yeah. And you're planning to do 30 miles? And we do 30 tomorrow, yeah, and then it will continue from there. And you, you're feeling confident in yourself that actually, you know what, I can I can put that sort of mileage through my foot and through my ankle? Yeah, I'm, look, bearing in mind that I've done, I say, look, I've completed nine and a half marathons in eight days, right? And um, I've said it all along, just... If, <laughs> Let's just hold on a minute. Even that in itself, <laughs> you know, I'm taking that for granted because we're thinking about, yeah, we still got 30 to go. But I think that in itself is a phenomenal achievement. Yeah. Um, it's, would you um, agree? Yeah. It's a round of applause. I mean, I think that is... Yeah. Woo! Well, I think we should celebrate that because, yeah, I, you know, I, I, many I of us in the room probably haven't even done a marathon. I know I've met one ultra marathon it here today i was introduced before this but a lot of us have not even done a marathon so to do that many it's pretty well, incredible I say within the technique and you know i i've always said that you know we're the descendants of some pretty awesome beings right so they're our ancestors let's say and even the tribes of today that still go out they were persistent hunt and they will do things every day right so when i spoke to one of my friends i was like oh you're kidding me tony i can't believe it you know i can't believe how upset you are you've done nine marathons in Nine and a half marathons in eight days. I, I, I had to train for a year to do a marathon, he said. And I couldn't walk for a week. My toenails had fallen off and all kinds of stuff. So, you know, give yourself a break. And I'm like, yeah, but, you know, we have to understand also what we, what, we can, what we can achieve if we start to align with what is the biological norm again. Yeah. So am I ready for tomorrow? My technique's ready for tomorrow. And that's what I, I, I've always held. I, I can't, again, predict whether there's a thorn or something else thrown in my way. We've changed the route somewhat because <clears throat> what I found I think was probably a massive distraction that I hadn't anticipated was the traffic. Like we did the we ran from Lands End to John O'Groat, uh, Lands End to um, Whittington, and the first leg of that in Cornwall was like the A30. So it's a dual carriageway, massive trucks um, flying past, um, and it's a distraction. <clears throat> and you and you're in and out in and out of what should be for me the mindful practice of running so that i found exhausting i found that probably more exhausting that the physical effort of the running was just the mental focus on the traffic not being hit by trucks or dealing with abuse out the window or whatever was whatever was thrown my way yeah so i i've again i i, I don't doubt the physicality of it again I can't put that out there, you know. That's I think that's the biggest lesson so far. Is whereas previously it was like, yeah, you know, I've got this in the physicality, and it was like, is it, aren't you nervous? And I was like, well, no, I, I trust the process and I trust the, my physical ability to do it and my technique. What I was more concerned about was the logistics. Yeah. But it turns out the logistics held up and the physicality didn't. Do you know what I mean? And so you, you and that's a lesson. That's yes, a lesson for me, and it's humility in a way. It's for me to just really in a bit and say well actually you know i don't know how things are going to turn out you know all i know is i have this challenge and that's that's my challenge and whatever thrown in my way is still the challenge that's the point it's, it's a it's a it's a really beautiful perspective to, to hear um there's a real sense that you are staying in the present and that is something pretty much all of us can improve our ability to do is stay in the present not worry about what's happening tomorrow you know you're saying you know will you finish it well time will tell right you know i guess you're as prepared as you can be but if someone puts an obstacle in front of you which is 
you know, difficult to surmount, then so be it. You'll have to deal with that. That's a new obstacle. That's a new obstacle. And, and that will happen in the moment it happens. So that's, yeah. it's about, yeah, again, exactly, exactly as you're saying. It's about being present, living in the moment, and not, not even, oh, we've done nine and a half marathons, or we have this to go, um, because other people view that differently anyway. We were in a fruit and, ve- fruit and veg store in um, Shrewsbury yesterday, <clears throat> and the lady in there was asking about the run, and I'd say, so now how far you got to go? And I said, oh, we only got um, 19 days to go, right? And she's like, oh my God, 19 days, that's, that's, that's so long. It was like the complete reversal of my language. It's like, yeah, it's only 19 days to go. You know, so it's just, every, it's just be, being present really for me. I don't need to look at, right, there's 19 days or how many days we've covered. It's really just going to be, as you say, living in the moment of it. And again, taking it back to the breath, I think, will be the, the reward of it. I, mean, I think we should explore that language, you know, how important our language is in terms of how we view challenges, how we view the daily things that are going on in our lives. Um, before I go d- down there, I had another thought, which I'd love to hear your thoughts on. If you had to stop right now, today, you were done. You could not continue this for whatever reason. So at the yep. end of this 30-day challenge that you'd put out there in the public and the media, if you had to stop after doing eight and a half marathons instead of 30... Would you consider that to be a failure? No. No, because it's it's a it's a cha- it is a challenge, but the challenge would be whatever I succeed in within the challenge, you know? Yeah. I'd be, I'd probably there would be a day it would be a day there and I'd explore all those those multifaceted personalities again, a victim and whatever. But again, we'd wake up and we go, Well, okay, look, I've got this amazing family. I've got, you know, what, what, what have I got to complain about, you know? For a start, I mean, it's a pretty privileged thing to go and do anyway. I'll tell you, what, I'm going to take a month off and go running the length of the UK. You know what I mean, yeah. it's um, you know, first world problem, right? So, yeah. um, I guess for me, it would be I'd still continue. Like we still did the interviews, we still interviewed sustainability experts, even on the days I wasn't running. So it meant we were just driving all over the place because, again, it's it's two pronged, isn't it? That there's a message there which is about raising awareness for sustainability in the environment. I can still do that. So what? I, I may, I, if I, something, if a truck hit me tomorrow and I couldn't do that, then then I can't do that either. You know, yeah. I live in the moment and be present in whatever the lesson would have been of that. Yeah, and that would it, probably be, um, you know, focus on the run. Yeah, not the traffic. But there is something in that I think about. You know, I, I posted about this recently on social media about we, we need to be looking for progress, not perfection. Far too many of us. You know, we we let this um, the strive for perfection get in the way of actually making progress. I'm either going to the gym four times a week and working out. Oh, I missed one. Oh, I can't do it. I'm I'm going to stop. There's a few nodding heads actually in this audience already mm-hmm. on that because this is a very very common common theme. And I think you know you're you're maybe doing it at a much more extreme level than many of us. But we everyone's got challenges in their own life, and you know I, I think that's a beautiful way of looking at it. That I, I have no doubt you will get back on the road and go as far as you're meant to go. And I suspect that means you probably will complete it. But if you don't, you're right, it's not a failure. It's like setting a challenge and seeing how far you can go. Um, well, my- you said it is as far as I'm meant to go. Yeah. You know, that's a really nice way of looking at it, isn't it? For sure. Yeah. yeah. You're a parent. Um, your wife's here. Your kids are here. And I know that you maybe have some views on parenting that are, again, potentially different from the norm 
And you, I think, like all parents, are trying to do the best that you can for your children. I genuinely believe every parent is trying to do that based upon their understanding, based upon their experiences. They're trying to bring up their kids in the best way that they know how. So I'm interested in the facts that, you know, the family's on the road with you. Also, you mentioned the question Lotho asked you. Um, yeah. But did you feel the responsibility as a father? You know, you are facing adversity. Your kids can see that. Your kids can see you're in physical pain. Daddy's not able to do what he set, has set out to do. As well as how you cope with it yourself, did you feel an added weight of pressure? You know, I need to model the right behavior here for my, for my children. I need to actually show them how you can overcome adversity. Um, I think I've shown them. I think um, it's important for them to see that their papa is human, you know, more than anything. That's the most important thing I can give them. Like they hadn't, they've never seen me cry before. Millie saw me cry and I was had my head in my hands in the bedroom. And so they got to see vulnerability. That's so important, right? They get to see, ah, oh, papa's human. He's vulnerable. Um, Lola said, you're not going to quit, are you, papa? You know? So I got to, I got to hear all of it. And, and it's, and I, and I think, um, what did you say when she asked you that? No, I'm not going to quit. Because I knew I wasn't going to quit, you know. But it would be a different conversation if I'm sat there and I'm, well, yeah, I'm going to quit, you know. If if I was that broken, I can't do it. But then they would be around the energy and be able to observe the behavior that came with it. I think Lola taps into the emotion of it because they, they view it on more of an emotional level than we do. That you're not going to quit, are you? In other words, she knows I'm not going to quit, you know. That's why she's asking, I felt, in that moment. And, um, yeah, I think I'm just being, I can be the best example of the human being just by my behavior, you know? So if that means I cry, if that means I yell, if that means I, it's whatever is in that moment and they're witness to it, they're witnessing something amazing. This is an amazing experience them to see, you know, what's unraveling here and how I can come through that adversity. So already Lola, what's on your bracelet, darling? What is it? Breathe. So Lola has a bracelet with breathe on it. And I said, look, whenever, whenever you're feeling stressed or anxious, just look at your bracelet and just take a breath in and a breath out, you know? And just because they know that I can work with breath and they've seen me, what, what tools I use to get me out of what may me look like I might be quitting at that moment. Yeah. So they're learning, just they're observing the behavior. Oh, wow. If I do a bit of breath work, wow, I can be, I can be a crumpled mess crying and sobbing in a pile when I do a bit of breath work get in a cold shower and boom out pops another happy human it's a that's a that's a powerful message for them right i mean our kids can often be our teachers can't they, oh, they absolutely they show us everything yeah they they look at things in, in a very different way often from from the way we do as adults and often i guess in many ways they have less baggage that they've accumulated yeah, yeah. and it can be very i certainly know with my own kids i'm learning lessons from them every day they they really help me to be present and mindful um and so what lessons have you learned from your children through this process? What lessons have I learned from my children? I learn everything through my children. Um, I learned to keep my feet out of the way when they're walking by. We learned that, didn't we, quite, quite, quite quickly. Um, again, I, I, I learned to be vulnerable. Vulnerability, I think, was a big message for me through this trip, whereas before I almost felt like... Um, 
I don't know. I don't know whether the, whether if I felt like the kids maybe thought me as like this superhero of a papa going to do these things, you know, which is great, but it's it's not the truth, right? So no. the truth is, well, there's vulnerability in this in this situation. It's not the truth, but it's. So it's, I think it's, they allow, they they just allowed they gave, they provided the perfect. They held the space for me to do that. That was what was incredible. You say it's not yeah. the truth, but it's actually, it's what a lot of society, what a lot of men consider to be the truth, right? You can't show vulnerability. Um, you can't show that side of you. Um, it's, I'm acutely aware that yesterday was uh, World Suicide Prevention Day. Oh, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And with the amount of men committing suicide in the UK, it was just, just, just staggering statistics. And, you know, one of the things we often talk about is the fact that men don't feel in society that they can open up, that they can be vulnerable, that being a man is shutting down your feelings and keeping it all inside and, and going on even in the face of adversity and, and on, on some level. So I think it's quite poignant that this is happening the day after that in terms yeah. of, you know, showing vulnerability, you know, to your children from a man at a young age, at their young age. It's a wonderful thing to show them. And what do you think generally about men showing vulnerability in society and, you know, how we're going to encourage that more and more? Well, I think firstly, we need to show all the male um, emotions, not just vulnerability. I think that's another thing that male emotions have been suppressed for so long, right? And I, and I always have this feeling about um, post-war, you know, P PTSD that comes handed down from wars and what men weren't meant to talk about or weren't meant to show emotions or, I mean, we were all inheriting some weird stuff back then. And so I mean, I've held men's retreats where it's not just about vulnerability. It's about letting them go off in the woods and roar their heads off or, you know, or hug or just, or chant or do something. We're missing all that. You know, it's just what we just, hello, how are you? Yeah. I've got four emotions. I'm happy. I'm tired. I'm a little bit upset. And yeah, it didn't go well at work today. <laughs> do you know what I mean? That's, I wonder everyone's so suppressed, right? So it's about, really it's about exploring all the emotions. And yeah, I think it's very important vulnerability, but I also think we need to show other, we need to show our strengths too, the strengths of in our emotions, you know? Um, and, and it's actually, that's not just masculinity. That's on both sides, you know. Hey, we're all just a bit of a mess, agree. really, emotionally, aren't we? So I think, yeah, the more you can identify and the more you can explore it, the better. And it might take adversity to do that. That's the thing. I've lost the business, gone through a breakdown, broke through, you know, and, and just realized that, ah, it's, it's happening for me, right? It doesn't, it's not happening to me. It's just happening for me. And again, out of that, I've always become a better human. I've always become stronger for it. And I think the strength has come from identifying, again, what those emotions are within. Um, and the more deep and the more inner work you do, the more you're familiar with those. Yeah, for sure. Which is like the multifaceted personality I'm talking about. That's just, they're, they're emotions really, aren't they? Things that get flagged up and you go, aha, I recognize that one. Okay, thanks. And then goodbye. And then the next one comes up. Ah, I recognize that one. And, and you just go on. You know, vulnerability is just, it's part of that. It's yeah. just, um, I mean, you mentioned losing a business and going through various things and, and, you know, these, um, these experiences in life, they, they shape us, don't they? We, we've got choices. We can either sort of well in the grief off them, which again, might be appropriate at certain times. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's just important, right? And hopefully we can learn from them and actually come out on the other sides with some new tools. Um, I wrote about this actually in, um, in, in, in my last book that on stress, I, 
I remember one of the one of the most um, one of the things I've, I've learned from my wife's family um, really is you know my my wife's dad's his family uh, live in Nairobi in Kenya and they used to have businesses there they were very successful and in the coup in the early 80s 1980s they lost everything overnight like literally lost everything um and you know it's a long story this but the shortened version is they ended up coming to the uk um again started off a business that didn't work out lost everything and i i remember you know within a few months of 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 meeting um now what are my in-laws you know, my father-in-law had a phrase, you know, about money. He, he always used to say, money comes, money goes, doesn't matter. And it's just, I, I get it, you know, as I've got older and older and, and experienced more in life, I think it's such a beautiful perspective. He's had money and lost everything, had money, lost everything. And I think when you go through that, you realize money comes and goes, right? Don't, don't worry about it. And it's, it almost sounds trivial mm. in, unless you've gone through things like that it's because we think, you know, money's everything. Money's really, really important, right? It's, but I think it's like any experience, any adversity in life has the opportunity to help us learn something about ourselves, learn new tools. And I think that shows that. I think your own experience has certainly shown that to you. But I think your story is also very inspiring for people here, hopefully for the people listening to this podcast I, I hope that they can take something from your story because I think there's there's something inspirational in, you know, would it have been the same thing, let's yeah. say, Tony Riddle goes on his barefoot run um, and you do it. You do 30 miles a day and, and smash it. And yeah, smash yeah. it and there's no problem. Actually, would that be better or is or is this better? I, I don't know. Yeah, I wonder, what, I wonder what the ego would have been like at the end of that, yeah. you know? Like, ah, I just smashed it in 30 days. You know, that kind of voice might come in. But um, I think we were discussing it. James and I were discussing it, you know. And, it, uh, hey, it makes for a good story, right? You know, um, but going back to the money, the money, the money is the interesting one, isn't it? I think when, when you go down that path of, um, and you have loss, doesn't matter what it is, it just highlights the stuff that's really valuable in life, right? And, again, all that stuff's for free again, right? Yeah. All your family and your friends and your connections and... And you realize that all the materialism and all this is just stuff, right? Yeah. And it's stuff that you're handed from the moment you're born, right? You're born into the world. Everyone goes, right, here's, here's something. Here's another thing. Here's another thing. And you just get attached to all this stuff, you know? Yeah. But really, the, it's about the f fundamental needs again, isn't it? You know, it just highlights that. For me, it just, again, nothing for me can be beaten by going for a walk in the park with my family or go to the heath with the family or you know, a nice meal with friends or yeah. a good night's sleep or a bit of meditation or breath work. You know, it's just it's just such simple things. And I think that's, they're really the tools. They're the tools to help us get through adversity and the mental challenges, right? They are. And what's really apt for me is that you said, what a privilege to be able to take a month off and go and run around the UK, which of course it is. But the flip side is these tools you're talking about, hugging more, connecting with friends, um, you know, breathing, having a cold shower, let's say, yeah. meditating, a lot of these things are actually completely free yeah. and accessible to everyone. So I wonder if we might actually go into some of those tips because I think you have got a wealth of experience of dealing with people, trying to help them with various tools. And so you mentioned breath work. You mentioned that your daughter wears a bracelet with breathe on it. Yep. And you know, breathing is something I'm exploring more and more at the moment. I've become a little bit obsessed with it because I really do think it could be one of the ultimate um, 
ways of actually controlling your biology and it's a simple thing that yeah. with some dedicated practice can really have a lot of downstream effects absolutely you've got quite an advanced breathing practice so i i wonder if you could share and maybe we might be able to do it with the live audience potentially uh but, but we have what, a breathe off one that's also going to work for and the what we do is just leave we just walk out then we just leave you there yeah. one that's also going to work for people listening to this but is there a short breathing practice that you like that we could all potentially try and do together i well this isn't me this is because I'm, I'm not i'm not a breath guru um but i i basically we started off with there's so many modality i'm not looking at my phone i'm looking at uh, i was looking at an app to get a breathing app on i'm not answering messages by the way um <laughs> We there's so many modalities of breath, right? And I, I really loved all the Wim Hof work and and getting people in the ice bath. But what we were finding is that they were people were already coming in upregulated and anxious. When you say upregulated, can you just explain what you yeah, mean so, for people so who are not have, familiar um, with that? We talked about cellular behavior before in petri dishes, haven't we? But um, right, imagine a cell has two behaviors: it has a growth and it has protection. It's like a switch: growth, protection, growth, protection. Right. If I put really growth promoting information into a petri dish with cells in it, they go growth. And if I put information in there that's toxic to them, they go protection. So growth, I like to call parasympathetic, which is rest and digest. Right. Does that make sense? That's like, ah, if I was a primate and I was in the trees, I'd just be super chilled like this. And people say, you mean smoking marijuana? I'm really chilled out. Right. Um, and then the moment a threat comes, then I'm, then I'm off. And that's what we call sympathetic. So that's like the fight and flight, let's say. And so that would be the protection mechanism within the cells. Okay. And that can, this mechanism can be, I can add toxins or I can create a signal and the signal is like perception. So perception can trigger that. It's just like, this is Bruce Lipton's epigenetics, right? So breath work for me is a way of, um, getting people to go into what would be growth or I can put them into more of a, pre a protection mechanism. So upregulating can be an alert state. Like I need someone, they might be a bit low, like they're a bit down and they, I might need them to go and be really alert for something. So I go, I, I want you to practice this method of breathing. It will pick them up so they become alert. You know, so that's an alert state. If I want them to be really chilled out because they're already like, oh my God, this is great. I'm loving this. But I need them to go into, to go into a meeting or something or put up a PowerPoint, right? Um, and I want to downregulate them, then I choose a, pa a parasynthetic form of breathing that's going to chill them out. Does that help slightly explain that? Um, now, I'm not a breath guru, but I work with an app that I found. Um, a friend of mine, Chris, from We Move magazine, we did an ice bath. We had a load of people come. And he said, I've just interviewed this guy called Eddie Stern. You've got to listen to this. And Eddie Stern was a um, Ashtanga practitioner for likes of Sting and Madonna Anyway, he, he put this app together and it's called the breathing app. So I recommend that I'll put it up on your, um, I'll, I'll send you a link to it. You can send it out. You guys are on a mailing list, I guess, aren't you? It's very simply called breathing app and it's the most beautiful thing. Look at that. Look, there you go. Um, <laughs> and you have it, you have this. So I'm going to put this up on a wall in a studio of mine. And if I press play, look, the circle goes bigger. That would, that would suggest the breath in. And then the circle goes small again, and that would suggest the breath out, right? That's very simple, isn't it, right? Okay. Then it has this version, which is wonderful. Oh, no, it's not. It's different. Can you hear me? That's, that's the breath in. Yeah. I'll put it on this mic. Yeah, okay. So there's an inhale sound, and there's an exhale sound. Then you can program in, oh, how do I want to do that? I can create a... Four, six tempo, so that would be four seconds in and a six seconds out. The longer the exhale, 
the more the heart rate and blood pressure will drop. Okay, so when we breathe in, you get like a, a the the tempo goes up. When you breathe out, things start to relax off again. So you want the out breath to last just that bit longer. Um, the thing about that, you have to play with it because a four six tempo for some of us might be you might only be capable of a two four or three six or whatever. Yeah. And what you can do is you force tempos on people, they get, they get a bit upregulated trying to find it. So firstly, let's practice this. You put your hands on your um, chest, like that. Okay. And I want you to understand the difference between, um, Lola, where, Lola, what, what's the, what's, talk us through nasal breathing. Like what, nose is for, the nose is for what? And what's the mouth for? Eating, right. So noses are for breathing, mouths are for eating, right. There you go. Simple. So if, um, if I ask you to breathe in through your mouth really deeply, eyes, can you feel your chest rise? Yeah. Okay. So that would suggest the lungs are only about here, right? Would you, would you agree? Right, okay. Now I want you to put your hands on your tummy. Okay. Breathe out. And now I want you to take a long inhale through your nose like this. And then you kind of get your belly and your chest, don't you? So we just suggest that it's start, start to understand, ah, oh, I'm reaching what? the potential of my lungs, really, the full potential of the lungs. So um, that's a start. So now what we do, we're going to work through, let's say, let's try 10 cycles. That's all we're going to do. And so the inhale, I don't want you to think in through the nose. I want you to think up through the nose. So it's more like a... For as long as you possibly can, and then just a... A letting go. And then an up through the nose... And then a letting go. I want you to keep the eyes closed and inhale up through the nose. And just keep that tempo for me. In through the nose. And letting go on the out breath. In through the nose. And letting go on the out breath. Let's do two more in through the nose and letting go on the out breath. So simple. That's like 10 cycles of breath. Simple tool. There's other, other modalities. So another one is to think of like a box. We covered box breathing yeah, on Patiko sure. method where you might say, I'm going to inhale for say three, a count of three, hold for three, exhale for three, hold for three, Inhale, so you think of a box, you know? So that's two very simple systems. I mean, that was about 20, 20 seconds of breathing and you could, it's tangible in the room, the whole energy, energy change. Yeah. yeah, 100%. I guess for someone listening to this who thinks, who's heard the term breath work, has just heard that and thinks, okay, that sounds great. Have you got something specific you can recommend? Someone who's never done this before, they've heard that, they're, they're inspired to give it a go. You know, but how can you make it, achievable for them you know have you got any tips that you can say to them yeah i i, I think it's to put it in 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 throughout the day rather than trying to isolate times oh i'm going to do breath work now and put it in a box you know so dinner time simple yeah. one so for dinner you want to prepare kind of the digestive system so remember when i said parasympathetic means rest and digest doesn't it so you want a rested organism to be able to digest so i would before dinner, just to sit down and just, oh, I'm going to go, I'm going to do a few cycles of breath, inhale through the nose, exhale, really relaxing, inhale through the nose, and just try and spend longer on the exhale. That's what I recommend. 
don't drive yourself nuts trying to yeah. achieve four seconds in or whatever it is. It's just whatever you feel is a relaxed in-breath. Because that, that can become a stress in itself, uh, trying, yeah, trying to count I mean, this much and that much. I've been and, to classes like that, and yeah. you're like, oh, okay, I've got it, I've got it. And you're, you're battling and fighting to try and get the tempo of yeah. the person that's leading the class. You know, well, what, and we're all uniquely different, right? You have a unique, different respiratory system that might change from day to day. I might go to one class tomorrow and be able to inhale for 10 seconds. I might go again the next day, it'd be three seconds. So it's whatever, what, there's, there's no, I call them, I'm now calling them present best, not personal bests. Okay. It's a present best, right? I, if it was a new Olympics, it'd be, oh, I don't care. It's a present best. What you said about dinner time, I think is super, super interesting because what, I have seen with my patients in the last, I'd say, couple of years, um, what I've noticed is that sometimes people think they're reacting to a food, but they're actually reacting to the fact that they're in a stressed state. So how many of us rush around, we're eating, you know, on the go, trying to do our emails at the same time? Again, I do this sometimes. I know I shouldn't do, but again, sometimes you end up in that pattern. And with some patients who thought that they were reacting to a certain food, I would teach them a breath that I use a lot with my patients, the three, four, five breath. When you breathe in for three, you hold for four and you breathe out for five. And some of them have reported back that when they do that for a minute before they eat, they're no longer reacting to the food that they were reacting to before. And it's suddenly, when you understand the, the physiology of stress, it all makes sense. Suddenly you're putting your body out of this stress state, you're, you're allowing it to go into rest and, dege- rest and digest a relaxation state, and suddenly you're no longer reacting to that food. So I, I absolutely just want to emphasize that doing this before you eat, ideally if you, if you live with other people, a partner or children or friends, get everyone to do it at the same time. It's a, it's a really beautiful practice to do together, and it's going to help you digest your food better. Yeah, I mean, you, you think about, you know, in that fight and flight response, that moment of stress... There's so much fuel used on digestion alone, right? So on a meal, I might be using 60% of that meal to digest alone, right? And so if I'm stressed out, what am I going to do? Am I going to – there's a, it's a fight and flight response, right? The, the, the lion's in the room right now roaring away at me. What am I going to do? I'm going to go, hold on, I've just got to digest my food. Hold on. Or would I shut my digestive system on because I need that 60% of energy to fuel my body to get out the room? You understand? So digestive system is one of the first things to get compromised really with stress. Yeah, for sure. And so that's why breath work is the key. It's kind of just, you can assimilate with foods with it. It will help your bowel movements for a start. It just helps everything. That whole digestive enzymes and everything just prepare the body for food to begin with. Sleep as well, breath before sleep. I think um, rest and digest again. So we live in a in a world that's constantly on, right? And um I mentioned this in one of the podcasts I did recently, but it's a lawyer that I coach, Lawrence, and he's now 72. And so for Lawrence, he started out in his career, he would write letters and he'd write letters from, uh, to one lawyer to another. And they did, did, do the diligence and everything would be done within that letter. They would be so thorough in their research. Everything would be done so they didn't have to write another letter. It would go off. They'd have a week to respond, right? One whole week. Then the facts came. Then he said, right, okay, then we had about three days, really, if we were pushing it, you know, if we get away with it. And then um, the email came, and then it became a day. And he said, and then the email started to accelerate, and then the internet came and accelerated and accelerated until you then had the office in your hand. And then he said that one letter turned into 10 emails because no one really did the work. It's like it's just, just writing emails back and forth, back and forth. 
whereas it was so thorough before. So they created more work for themselves. But also what went out the window are those moments of reflection and rest, the moments when they might have just sat back a bit, taken a breath in the office to have a think about what's coming next. That's been removed. So if that's been removed, how do you reinstate it? And you reinstate it by, I set timers in the office for people, uh, 25 minutes, whatever it is, set a timer, ding. Okay, just sit and do a breath. Just return back to the breath for a moment. Tick them off. Right, I've done a breath now. Great, I've got a breath. I've accumulated a breath. See how many breaths you can accumulate in a day. And then when it comes to the evening, as a parent, as a papa who runs a business and does all kinds of other stuff, they don't need to see me with all the crap I've carried for the rest of my day. They want to see me chilled out when I walk in the home, right? So I get to the door and I do a bit of breath before I go in the door because I want to downregulate before I walk in the house. I also have the tube and London and everyone around me and all that weird energy. I've got to try and dump that before I get in the house. And breath's a great opportunity for that. Then in the house I go. And then before bed, again, down-regulating breath. And if you have babies, again, in the, in the house, you know, it should be the, the breath as well needs to be around the baby so you're down-regulated in your rest and digest because they pick up just on energy. They just pick up on the pure emotion of things. They don't understand the language. The language is the emotion, isn't it? So again, working with breath work to just down-regulate the, the bedroom and the harmony of the home, I think is just, it's powerful just working with breath. I think breath's just, it's, we, 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 Again, but there's so many modalities of it. I think yeah. just keeping it simple. Keep is it too, simple. Keep it simple. Nasal breathing, just as Lola said, noses are for breathing, mouths are for eating, and try and keep it to that. There and work go. on the tempo, trying to exhale for a little bit longer. I think what you said about um, coming in from work is something I think a lot of people will resonate with because we, we do live in these busy cultures now where you know we can't really switch off. Even you know, Even if you work in an office, maybe I'm harping back to the, the good old days, but let's say 20 years ago, you worked in the office and you, you finished off your work and then let's say you drove home if that was the way you, you got back. Mm. You'd come in, you'd, be, you'd sort of unwind probably on that drive and you'd walk in. You, you wouldn't have the option as, as the car comes in the drive to pick up the smartphone and quickly just check your work emails and say, oh, something else is coming, I can do that. And I do think this is almost like a hidden epidemic that we are carrying stress from our work days into our personal lives. I think technology, smartphones have absolutely made this. Again, this is not about demonizing technology. It's about saying there is a consequence. There are some benefits and there are some, there are some negatives. And I think one of the negatives is, is that, you know, I've, I've done this before. You come in, you check your email on the drive and you walk in as you're sort of replying to one or, you know, checking Instagram as you're walking in. To think that will not have a consequence on the relationship you have with your partner, with your children, it is, it's just simply not grounded in reality. It is having an impact because, you know, I see the impacts as a, as a doctor. The amount of people who come in with actual, actually relationship issues now that I think a lot of it is, is a downstream effect from the fact that we're super stressed out and we don't have time. We've not created that time and space for those people that mean so much to us. So I think, you know, without going on a bit of a rant, I do think it, something like a breathing practice or something that you do before you come and re-engage with people, let's say after a day at work, I think is incredibly, incredibly beneficial. And it's something I, I very much try and do as much as I can. Yeah, although I'm not a great perfect. tool. Well, we're not perfect, are we? I mean, I've been, I've been, ra I've been on my device let's call it a device um my vice my device um over the last three days 
um, because we've been planning stuff and getting routes and then answering stuff left around center. And then I realized today I was in the bathroom and Tallulah just came in and she gave me my phone. Right, and she's three and a half. And in that moment, I was like, okay, thanks, Tallulah. Again, the best lesson of all. She's just shown me. Yeah. You know, you've lost the extension of your arm right now. Here you go. Here's your hand back or something. Do you know what I mean? So that just highlighted, oh, I've, been, I've basically been on my device for too much. Now I know. Thanks for that. Yeah. She's highlighted but they, they it. They teach us, right? Yeah. And, you know, we're, we're, we're experimenting with this. We're the generation that's being experimented on. But the danger is that they're observing that experiment. Do you know what I mean? And they learn through observation, don't they, the young ones? So, um, I, I mean, we have to have tools in place and we have to have a better understanding of the device. And for me, it's like the stealing fire. Have you read that? Jamie Wheel. No. And they talk about the altered state economy. And it's something like $4.2 trillion, the altered state economy, which is gaming, alcohol, drugs, altered state drugs, uh, mobile devices. But it's nearly all dopamine. So we have happy hormones, right? So we can all hug each other and get oxytocin. You hug for long, hug, hug. You hug for longer, you get serotonin, right? Those really awkward ones where you hug your relatives and they go, ooh. Um, we could be moving around in the room and playing together and just stirring up a crazy party or go to, you know, what they call the morning raves now. Um, morning glory view. You can go to that and you get all, you get oxytocin and, and, and endocabinoids, endorphins. You get all those happy hormones going. But we have a happy hormone saboteur and it's like dopamine. Dopamine is a pleasure-seeking hormone. So you're always seeking. And this thing, just they say that, I think it's Sapolsky said that, you know, to even get a like or a swipe or something is a 400% increase of dopamine. The highest increase of dopamine is an orgasm. That's 100%, right? So we're all chasing 400% and then gaming for kids is 800%. They've got games now that are 800% dopamine. You can't, you can't beat that, you know? So you have to have tools in place to just to fi find ways of stepping away from it because it's, it's almost like the replacement for, it's a pacifier. So the more suffering we have, you know, if we don't use things like breathwork, meditation, mobility, go to yoga, do these things that are actually the free stuff, we end up pacifying to deal with the suffering instead, which can be the altered state economy, which I'm saying. It's like alcohol, there's drugs in there, there's whatever. But there's also shopping um, and there's this, right? And it's just another form of just escapism, pacifying, yeah, dealing with it. Well, this, this is actually... Particularly in the last 24 hours, something that We're scares me a lot. Sorry, no, it's, it's important. I, I um, went on um, BBC Radio 5 Live yesterday at lunchtime. Uh, they called me in the morning and said, could you come on? We want to talk about information overloads. Uh, so I went on a chap called Nahal's show, which is brilliant. And there were three other people there with me, and we were talking about information overloads, this society where we are you know, constantly consuming. And I was trying to say what impact I think it's having. Not judging it, but saying the impact it's having on our brain. Various parts of our brain are responding to that in real time. Um, and also some simple tools. Mm. And what was really interesting, I, I said, look, I get it. For some people, it doesn't appear to be a problem, but just be aware that there could be consequences of this. And right at the very end, and we were there for about an hour having this discussion on live radio. And... Nahal asked me for some top tips and I gave some what I thought were some very simple practical tips and then he went around saying how many of you are going to take the good doctor's tips and what was interesting the one of the sort of super productive guys who actually is always looking to hack his mind and listens to podcasts at double speed and listens to audiobooks at double speed actually he also he does that to increase his productivity but he also makes sure he's got time 
to chill and meditate and mm. work on espresso. I think there's that sort of yin yang balance. He's doing it, being more productive, you know, using what technology can give you, but he's also seeming to uh, balance that. But the other two, we're very much though, well, you know, I'm not going to do it. You know, saying, you know, I'm not going to do that. They were a bit younger. And I thought, fair enough, everyone's entitled to make their choices. But I was quite sad on the, on the, on the car home afterwards. I thought, wow. Um, even trying to make the case of the consequences of this in terms of memory, insomnia, uh, the fact that parts of your brain are changing in size in response to having no downtime in your life, which is which is huge. They were still unwilling to change. And it, it made me feel, I'm a pretty optimistic guy. I always yeah. think you can make change. And I still do. I woke up today and I, I still think you can. But I did think, wow, this is this is pretty endemic now where people are hearing it and thinking, no, it's too seductive, consuming more content, watching another YouTube video, listening to another podcast, you know, and I say this as a podcast host that, um, you know, I, I think this is a, a huge problem in society and one that we are going to have to wrestle with. It's one that I'm so aware of with my children. I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. I think a lot of people would consider what I do with my kids probably quite extreme in terms of how much I let them on technology, which is not very much at all. Yeah, same, right? um, and I struggle because I feel I know what this is doing at a young age to your brain. I've read some of that research. It worries me. But then I don't want him to be a social outcast. You don't want to alienate I don't, I don't want him to not fit in with his friends. And I don't have the answer to that. Well, and I think the school system needs to change. There's schools already that are, are bringing that in, aren't they, where they're having no school, um, mobile devices in the school? Yeah, well, the, the irony is, isn't it, in Silicon Valley, all the, all the tech giants who've come up with this stuff, they all send their kids to schools where you're not allowed devices, well, Steve Jobs, in nature. Steve Jobs wouldn't Th- allow his kids to have um, devices. And Bill Gates just says, have one computer in the house, it was in the kitchen. Wouldn't yeah. anyone near a device, you know? So, I mean, that, that, that says it all, doesn't it? That is. But yeah. look, Tony, we could go down this rabbit hole for, for another hour because yeah. it's something I'm super passionate about. But I just want to briefly to sort of finish this off for people. You have, you're doing this uh, challenge to also raise awareness about sustainability. Yeah. So I wonder if we could just briefly cover sustainability, yep. br- briefly cover sustainability. I'm not sure that's possible, but you know, what are the problems in society about sustainability? Um, what are you trying to raise awareness of? And I guess, is it possible to really make a difference by us making individual changes or do we need some more systemic things to happen in society to actually really make a difference? Uh, I think it happens at both levels, doesn't it? So the individual's impact, I've been doing some amazing interviews. We met this guy from um, Carbon Analytics. So Carbon Analytics will mean the future will be, so this is not government, this is moving away from government. This is him, this guy, he's a CEO. And so that you would be able to go to Chris's counter there and it would show you how what the carbon impact is of each thing that you're buying. Isn't that amazing? So you could make a choice then. You say, right, okay, I'm going to buy, a, uh, I don't know, a, a, a cake over there that's this much carbon versus this much. So that's the individual will change that. But it's a, big, it's a bigger system that has to change behind that. We met with Hugo Tagholm from Surfers Against Sewerage. So they were a, they're a small, small um, organization that have had such a big impact. They have changed legislation, right? This small voice that went to government and then they were the biggest voice behind having the um, charge on plastic bags, right, added. Small surfers, and they're just, we, we went to see them, how many people came out? 12 people? 
in this office. We were like, what? And they had such a massive impact. And they're now moving towards, they want to change legislation about um, plastic bottle recycling, having recycling units just for plastic bottles that you can go to. You know, so, and then the individual can be about, yeah, what you recycle, what you reuse, what you upcycle, you know? And so I, th- I think from the individual's perspective, yes, we all need to be the change, but also at the same time, don't give yourself anxiety. You know, it's like some instances, oh, I might have to buy a plastic bottle of water, you know? I might have to do that, but I might have saved 3,600 plastic bottles by getting a water filter installed in my home which I've done. But the old plastic bottle, you know, I'm not going to kill myself so, over so it's, that. So it's, again, what we talked about at the start, <laughs> progress, not perfection. Yeah, it's not yeah. about you're either doing everything for sustainability or you're not. You can sort of do a bit of both. You can try your best on an individual level, but accept that actually society does make it hard sometimes. And sometimes Absolutely. you will fall short of what you would ideally do, but don't stress about it. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, eventually the system will change. It is changing already. You know, well, the plastic it's, bag it's charge has been amazing. 85% yeah, drop in plastic bag use. I think it's yeah. higher than that. Was it 80, what you say? Oh, I think it's, it's, it's 85%, like yeah. Um, so that's, that's a huge change. And that was to a group of people, they change legislation. That's one way of doing it, you know. And you can join groups like that. You become a me- member of the SAS, right? Service Against Sewerage. Um, so that's one way of doing it, right? Again, you, again, you can make small changes yourself, but I think the the important thing is just not put yourself in that state of anxiety that oh my god, or put a label on yourself. You know, yeah. I like don't create an ism out of it because then you then you have to keep striving for the perfection. You know, and also if you're on social media, don't just put it all out there on social media and and berate on others who aren't quite as sustainable as you because that's not sustainable either. You know, and I think. Yeah. It's becoming more of a sustainable human being, I think. And so sustainability doesn't just come down to what we're recycling. It also comes down to how we can sustain life, you know, in a world of chaos, which goes back to the original conversation of breathwork meditation. Yeah. And that's, that's how you become sustainable. Um, I guess you get behind as well cafes like this an organization like this that are, are making the change instead of going down the road and grabbing a starbucks or a costa where you know they could have implemented a lot of this a long time ago yeah um and are still churning out the same plastic lids and plastic cups it's inexcusable really um i think if you have the money and you're going to go and buy a new car the obvious thing to do is steer away from you know the diesels and the petrols and start getting behind the EV, the electric vehicle, because it's only going to make it bigger and then eventually cheaper. Yeah. Um, sustainable fashion again. Yes, you might spend a little bit more on it, but those companies have to spend a hell of a lot more than you think to be able to transform themselves from not being sustainable into a sustainable brand. It changes at every level on a mechanical level down to packaging, employment, everything has to change for them. So someone has to take the hit. Otherwise their company isn't yeah. here anymore. So I guess, you know, if you can, you get behind the businesses that are trying to be the change yeah. and you do what you'll bid, bid at home as much as you can and then go and become a member or a group like SAS, as I say, yeah. you know. Or or do some barefoot running, then you don't even need to buy or, running shoes. Yeah. Yeah? I like there it. There you go. <laughs> you, can. you know, that's another way of doing it. You can walk around barefoot. Um, remove the chairs from your home. <laughs> there well, you go. We covered that on the last one. So if you, if you want more live. on that, do listen to my previous conversation with Just Tony. Just minimalist living. There you go. That's, that's, a, that's a good way to stop, isn't it? What is minimalist living, I think, yeah. encompasses all of those things, actually. In, remove in many attachment. Ways. Yeah, sure. Um, look, Tony, we've covered so many different topics. 
I really enjoyed our conversation. Did you guys enjoy our conversation? Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it's, 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 it's really been awesome to actually do this in front of a really live, intimate audience. Um, I am actually planning at some point to take this podcast on the road. Brilliant. And this was a really nice uh, sort of almost like a warm-up, as it were. So thank you guys for, for being here for that. Tony, you know how I like to end each of these podcasts. It's called Feel Better, Live More, because when we feel better in ourselves, we get more out of life. You mentioned so many tips today. I wonder if you could leave the people in here today, but also the listeners at home, just some short, simple tips. I know you've covered those already. Maybe pick a few from um, you know, our physical health and pick a few maybe for sustainability. Simple tips that people can think about applying in their life immediately. Um, I'm going to move away from the physical self. I'm going to move back into the mind again and just, I think, leave you with what I discovered on Tuesday, which was... Um, to trust the process, respect the process, be patient whilst in the process, and when you finally figure out that it's all process, just be. There you go. Really hope you enjoyed that live conversation. As always, do think about one thing that you can take away and start applying into your own life. Now, before you go, just wanted to let you know about Friday Five. It's my weekly email containing five simple ways or ideas to improve your health and happiness. I share exclusive insights that I do not share anywhere else, including health advice, interesting articles or videos that I've been consuming, and quotes that have caused me to stop and reflect. In a world of endless emails, it really is delightful that many of you tell me it is one of the only weekly emails that you actively look forward to receiving. If that sounds like something you would like to receive each Friday, you can sign up for free at drchatterjee.com forward slash Friday5. Just a quick reminder, I have a brand new book coming out in March 2022, not long to go now. It's called Happy Minds, Happy Life, and it contains lots of simple and practical strategies to help you train your mind and enhance your mental well-being. I cover lots of different topics, including how you can better deal with criticism, how to overcome a lack of motivation, how to build better relationships, and ultimately, how to experience more joy in life. If that sounds of interest, please do consider pre-ordering a copy or links to pre-order on both sides of the Atlantic are in the episode description in your podcast app. And if you enjoyed today's episode, it is always appreciated if you can take a moment to share the podcast with your friends and family or leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful week. And please do press follow or subscribe on whichever podcast platform you listen on. Always remember, you are the architect of your own health. Making lifestyle changes always worth it. Because when you feel better, you live more.